Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. How about the Pittsburgh Steelers? Antonio Brown arrived at the Steelers facility today. Now, normally a guy showing up to the office on a Wednesday is not that big of a deal. But the way things are going with Antonio Brown and the Steelers right now, that's actually kind of a thing. And it's actually kind of a thing because he was actually pretty irritated with the coaches on the sideline during Sunday's loss. And then it became even more of a thing when he did not show up at the facility on Monday for meetings and film review. And then it became still a bigger thing when Coach Mike Tomlin was asked about it yesterday. And Tomlin said, quote, we will talk about it and other things. I'm not going to get into whether he was excused or not, end quote. When somebody says, I'm not going to get into whether it was excused or not, go ahead and assume that it was not excused. Because if it was excused, the coach would have said it was excused. But Tomlin didn't. And then on top of that, you've got a former Steeler employee who tweeted that Brown would not be the same player if he played without Ben Roethlisberger, to which A.B. actually responded, and I quote, trade me and find out, end quote. So the only thing as bad as not showing up for work, without an excuse, is getting hooked badly on Twitter by a former team staffer. And both those things happened to the Steelers' best player. So all in all, a hell of a couple of days for Antonio Brown and the Steelers. So Brown's agent, Drew Rosenhaus, responded to the question of whether or not A.B. actually wants to trade. He told ESPN, quote, The tweet yesterday was not in reference to anything other than Antonio responding to a person that he knows. It was not directed towards a trade or wanting to be traded. Any idea he was asking for a trade is not accurate. Antonio had a personal matter. I talked to the team about it. His issue was unrelated to the tweet or his relationship with the team. Third, A.B. has an incredible drive to win. He just wants to win. That's all that is. That's not anything more than him encouraging his coaches and teammates to win. And that's what his entire focus is on. Any notion, any speculation otherwise can be put to bed. This is a non-story that has been blown out of proportion. We can end this right here and now. End quote. All right, so that trade me tweet is a total non-story. I'll agree with that. Now, don't get me wrong. Brown getting hooked by somebody like that and tweeting something like that's not a good look. Now every egg in the world with too much time on their hands and nothing better to do will be coming for Antonio Brown looking to get him to react. Now, but that doesn't mean that the guy really wants to be traded. I mean, you'd have to work pretty freaking hard to convince yourself that responding to a former Steelers employee and telling him to trade me and find out is Brown's way of demanding a trade. And no, him... Not showing up for work one day does not mean that you go all John Gruden on his ass and say he doesn't want to be here and then ship him to Chicago like Gruden did Cleo Mack. Oh, by the way, great move, Chunky. Great move. Again, the Raiders are 0-2, Gruden's 0-4 because every game that Mack has is a great game. It's just another loss for Chunky. Hindsight 50-50. Hindsight is 50-50. Isn't it, Chunk? Back to the Steelers. You could say that this is just Antonio Brown doing Antonio Brown things. And to a certain extent, you'd be right. 
But there's a bigger deal here, and that's the fact that the Steelers are 0-1-1, and they have not looked as bad on and off the field in years. They tied the Browns in the opener. They got absolutely torched by Patrick Mahomes in Week 2. And that's not a good look for Mike Tomlin either, by the way, because defense is supposed to be his specialty, and that defense can't get off the field. And they look even worse off the field, where Le'Veon Bell is still hitting the clubs, Brown is skipping out on work, and most of the offensive line was doing the one thing that every single player knows that you're not supposed to do, talking about another man's money. So, underachieving on the field, melting down off the field, and it's all going on under the watch of the alleged, supposed, ultimate players coach, and Mike Tomlin. So when Tomlin promised, quote, straight fire when he joined Twitter, I don't think that he meant he was going to light the building on fire. But it is a blaze right now, isn't it? I mean, what the hell kind of world are we living in where one of the most stable franchises in all of sports is suddenly one of the more dysfunctional franchises in sports? The Steelers are tied for last in the division. Players are no-showing. Their defense can't get the hell off the field. And players are taking shots at one another. I mean, it's weird. Real weird. And real bad. And if they don't wake the hell up, and I mean right this second, never mind the Super Bowl, their entire season could be over by Monday. How the hell did that even happen? How did this even come to be? And while I'm not going to put it all on Mike Tomlin, it's a pretty damn good place to start. Yeah, but don't take my word for it. Take it from an anonymous NFC South assistant who told Bleacher Report, quote, it's a circus there. And Mike has no control over it. He's one of the best coaches of my generation, but the players have too much control there. End quote. Hey, listen, I'm not in that locker room. I'm not going to sit here in California and say that Mike Tomlin has lost control of that locker room. But I know this. Being a player's coach is fine right up until the moment the players start to take advantage and stop respecting the coach the way they have in the past. And then they take over. And judging from what these guys are saying... And what they're doing, this may in fact be the case. Either that or some assistant coach has an axe to grind with Tomlin and is looking for a chance to pile on. You go ahead and decide. I'm not saying it's all Tomlin's fault. You can't blame Tomlin for Le'Veon Bell. It's not Tomlin's job to negotiate contracts and get players into camp. And A.B. is going to A.B. We know that too. But the fact remains, it is all hitting the fan right now. This team still has talent. This team still has upside. This team still has a shot. And if anybody can turn it around, it's Tomlin. But he better do it, and he better do it now. Because when you start 0-1-1, it gets late early. And when you start 0-2-1, it's probably already too late. Coach them the hell up, Mike. Because while you'll never say it, you have to know you're coaching for your entire season this weekend. That's right. Coaching for your entire season. Coach them up, Mike. Coach them up. Steeler fans, have you ever seen anything like this from your team, either on or off the field? What's next? How important is that game? I'm telling you, you start 0-2-1, your season might already be over. Never mind the Super Bowl. And if your season's over three weeks in, what's that say about your overall window? Is that slammed shut? Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy is my guest. Mike, good morning. Great to have you back. How are you, Mike? 
I'm doing great, Jim. Good to, good to be with you. Mike, great to have you here. All right, so you're coming off a win over number 17, Boise State, 44-21. Mike, every coach talks about wanting to win all three phases of the game, and you did that with a really nice performance offensively, seven sacks on defense, a couple of block punts on special teams. So how pleased were you with the way everybody showed up in a big game like that? I was really pleased, Jim. It was a uh, the best all-around game that we had played in a number of years. We were a little slow on offense to start. We weren't run blocking as well as we needed to. Picked it up with some quarterback run. As the game went on, we, we started blocking better, made a few adjustments in some schemes, and our tailback started to, to gain some yards. Uh, we threw the ball pretty well. Uh, defensively, we were really good. We, we held them to uh, one yard per rush, which I didn't think there was any way we could do that. I was hoping that we could hold them to three per rush. They traditionally, and, and even up to our game, been very, very good at, at running the football. And then special teams-wise, our, our cover units were awesome. And then to block two punts just changed the game. We're talking to Mike Gundy. Mike, your quarterback, Taylor Cornelius, had a really nice game throwing for one TD, ran for a couple of more. You know, moments like that have been a long time in coming for him. Back in November of 2014, when he was a true freshman, it looked like he might get that start against Baylor. But, of course, Mason Rudolph goes in. He goes on to have one of the best careers in school history. So Cornelius could have transferred at any point over the past few years, but he didn't. What's that say about him as a person and as a competitor? Really quality young man, uh, small town, West Texas, um, great attitude, salt of the earth, very humble, um, unselfish, very fortunate, had a, a really good upbringing, got great parents. And he's going to be a dinosaur from the standpoint of in the future, I don't see quarterbacks, much less other, position, other positions, but mainly quarterbacks staying at schools when they know they're behind a guy that's two and certainly three years ahead of him. And he stayed here. He liked it here. He liked the environment. He liked the, the college environment. Uh, and it worked out great for him. I mean, we're, we're thrilled to death for him. He's got a long ways to go. He learns every game. But you just love seeing good things to happen to really quality people. Just because fall is here does not mean that the heat is going away. And if you don't want to turn that AC on and run it all night long, get yourself a Casper mattress. It really does help me get the very best night of sleep, period. Once you try Casper, you're going to love yours as much as I love mine. Switching to Casper is a no-brainer. It's a high-quality mattress at an affordable price. I'm sleeping cool and comfortably every single night thanks to the unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure relief and alignment. And Casper... And Casper ships right to your door for free in a small, how did they do that, size box. They'll even pick it up if you don't love it, and they'll refund you everything. From its engineering to its packaging to letting you try it for 100 nights, it is no wonder that Casper has over 35,000 five-star reviews of all their products across Casper, Google, and Amazon. Sleeping on a mattress is the best way to try one. Put Casper to the test in your own home for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Rome 50. Use the code Rome 50 and get $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses. Again, casper.com slash Rome 50. Use the code Rome 50 and get 50 bucks off towards the purchase of select mattresses. Casper.com. Terms and conditions do apply. Mike Gundy joining us. All right, so on the other side of the ball, Jordan Brailford had three sacks in the first half. Mike, on Saturday, he's got five on the year. I mean, you've had some really good defensive players in your time at Oklahoma State. Where does Jordan rank, and what makes him so good? He, he's got an unusual ability to have um, terrific speed and power, and he understands body control and leverage, almost like 
a wrestler, guys that we've had in our program that were really good high school wrestlers. They they have great body control and they can they can bend and and leverage. He has that ability. Um, he's been with us a number of years, you know, just being a junior. But for the most part, he hadn't really had a lot of uh, weight room time because he's had just small nagging injuries over two and a half years, and he's finally healthy. And we're we're really excited for him because of the uh, what he brings to the table in his ability to get to the quarterback, and also he's been very good against the run. Mike Gundy joining us in the jungle again. And Mike, you and I talked in the offseason about the fact that everybody outside the program was thinking of this as a rebuilding year because you lost all that talent to the NFL, but you're 3-0, and you're number 15 in both polls. I know you're not going to hold a parade in September, but what's it say about where the program is? And as that cliche says, you don't rebuild, you reload. We, we've, uh, we've come a long ways in that Going into the season, there were some things we, we had a good idea about where we were going to be, and then some things we didn't with, with Taylor. Um, you know, he never played. You know, he'd, he'd been on the, on the driving range and hit the ball down the middle of the fairway, but he'd never stepped up on the first tee. Uh, and, and he's come through and playing well. And our running backs are really good, in my opinion. We're, we're not as good at blocking up front as we need to be. And then defensively so far, we've played well. And it, it's a huge difference for our program and the fact that and, and you know this, you've been around sports and seeing it so long that our, our, our players just expect to win. So now when we have a great class, every three or four years you have a, a terrific class that rolls out of here, the, the Whedons and the Blackmans, and, and now you have the, the, the Rudolphs and the James Washingtons and such, that the younger guys understand winning based on the culture that's in the program. And we've come a long ways there. So if we can continue to, to recruit quality young people and just – upgrade a little bit every year we should be able to keep this thing going for a number of years we're talking to mike gundy especially mike when i'm looking at it from the outside but i'm looking in i always like talking approach and philosophy with you and by that i mean you're 14 years into your time as a head coach at oklahoma state and the grind of big time college football does not seem to have worn you down in the least how do you maintain that enthusiasm and that hunger and keep it fresh all the time when you're in that meat grinder you know, it's it's interesting that after if you're fortunate enough to do it for a number of years, you you, you have to have some breaks and get lucky because you you got to get to the second contract as a head coach, in my opinion. And a number of of really quality coaches don't get there. Things don't go well for them in year three and four. Once you get to that point, you start to build your program and your culture, and that's what we have here now. And so, um, the approach with the the people in this building, you have 135 players, and we have about 70 to 80 personnel from strength staff, equipment staff, medical staff, everybody through all of our staff, administration, is we, we get our work done and we get out of here. We're going to train hard. We're going to be disciplined. We're going to be structured. We're going to care about each other. We're not going to work too many hours. We're not going to beat our players up. And we're going to provide an environment where young people exit in four years with a degree and then their interview says, I would go to Oklahoma State and play football and be a student again because I had a great four-year experience. We've taken that on here now, Jim. So I've been fortunate. Coaches don't leave here. I mean, I'm, I'm the easiest guy in the country to work for. I never say a word to you. I just ask you to be fair to the young men, work your tail, work your tail off, be loyal to university. And if you leave, you got to take off early. you got to do something. Let it roll. It's not a big deal. And that approach has worked for me. I don't know for other people, but for me personally, that, that approach has worked. Sounds great to me. Mike Gundy, my guest. Mike, before you go, there was a mini panic, however, in the world of college football a few weeks back when it appeared that maybe you had taken down your mullet. What was your reaction to that reaction? And I mean, Mike, you're never really going to cut that thing off, are you? 
No, and I, and I was shocked where it came from. The only thing I can think of is um, one one day in in uh, fall camp in August, um, I had a I had I had run a little bit too far and got a headache, and so I I laid down to sleep for thirty minutes before I went to practice, and it kind of smashed my hair. You know, you like bed hair in college. You know, right. from sleeping all the time after been out all night. And so I had that, and it smashed it down. I think it kind of messed it up. Somebody took a picture and hit it big, and I, I don't know where it came from, you know. But but uh, uh, it, it's been a lot of fun, and and it it, it rolls pretty good. Now the team, that you know, and I told you this, I think uh, when I, we talked a few months ago, the team they're into it now. I mean, they stay on it, and they'll, they'll come and check before anybody else will. So we've had a lot of fun, you know. We we have a lot of fun around here, you know. We we put it out there in line. We're we're kind of gunslingers on game day, and we we roll with it, and whatever happens happens. What a world, Mike. Isn't that awesome? You can get up from a nap. I mean, just a member of Nap Nation, a little bit of bedhead. Somebody's got a phone. They've got a picture. They push that thing out. Bam, it's viral. And then everybody's freaking out because the mullet might be gone when it's not. Listen, last thought. In the offseason, we also talked about the fact that you've been training a dog, Kenzie. And she came mm-hmm. to a presser last month. Absolutely stole the show. For those who do not know, what is she like and how is she doing these days? Well, she she's right here under my feet now. She comes to work with me. She's a one-year-old Portuguese water dog that we adopted. I live on a ranch, as you know, and so people just assume that we can take a bunch of animals in. But this lady couldn't take care of her, so we took her in. She's very ADD for a dog. And um, so she has to have something going on all the time. So I take her to work with me, and she follows me around, goes into the meetings, goes into the offices, and she'll go down in the weight room and so on and so forth. And it keeps her invigorated mentally, and she loves it. Um, She's been an awesome companion for me, and and actually she's laying right here under my chair. She goes to the press conferences, and and, uh, she'll kind of roll around on the floor and keeps everybody entertained. She just lightens the moment. You know, at some point we we all got to, like, chill out. You know, life life moves too fast for us, and it is what it is. And she does a great job with that. Man, life comes at you so fast, and animals are great for that. Mike Gundy, head football coach at Oklahoma State. My guest, 14 years in, they're 3-0, and and they're in the top 15 in both polls. Next challenge, Texas Tech at Oklahoma State. Mike, you are the best. It is so good to get caught up. Thank you very much for the time, Mike. I always look forward to it, and I appreciate the relationship. You bet. Same, same to you, Jim. Look forward to talking to you in a few weeks, man. All my best. Before I slid into my shoes this morning, I slid into an insanely comfortable pair of Bombas. Bombas has totally re-engineered socks with comfort innovations that add up to a way more comfortable pair of socks. Two years of R&D led to multiple improvements of the sock design, performance, and comfort. And an arch support system that provides extra support where you need it most and it feels like a hug around your foot. And Stay Up Technology, 133 tension levels were tested to find the perfect tension that's comfortable, stays in place while not being too loose, and never leaves a mark. Plus super soft cotton that you will never want to take off. Best pair of socks ever, bar none. And one pair sold equals one pair donated. I would never tell you to do something that I don't do myself. Bombas are the socks that I wear every single day. I'm wearing them right now, and they are extremely comfortable. And right now, you get 20% off your first order if you go to bombas.com slash Rome. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com. You'll get 20% off your first order. Bombas.com slash Rome. Codename Rome. Best pair of socks ever. Let's go back and talk about Josh Gordon for a minute and the Patriots. A lot of drama involving the Patriots right now. But... They bring in Josh Gordon. 
Now, in terms of the situation with that, this guy's barely set foot in Foxborough, and it was great yesterday. We had more Patriot fans call yesterday than I think we've ever had on the program. People from Maine, people from Boston, lots of Patriots fans. This guy, this guy talking about it's, quote, it's going to be super. It's going to be super. And again, shouts, I know you like to fight. Don't be coming for me. In fact, I've got a lot of me and you, and you don't know that. I get that quite a bit. Where are you from? Where are you from, Rome? Where are you from? You're from New York? You're from the East Coast? No, I'm from Los Angeles. I'm a native Southern California, born and raised in Los Angeles, but half my family is in Boston. My whole father's side of the family is in Boston. So before you come in here to hate on me, I'm actually you in half, in part. So this guy comes in yesterday. I prefaced that by saying that. I have a lot of family in Boston. My father went to BU. My father went to Brookline High. I've got a lot of family still there. I mean, Boston is what? Boston, in a word, is super. So Josh Gordon goes to the Patriots. Now, we're not sure when he's going to play. We're not sure about his status. But at least in the words of that fan, it's going to be super. In the meantime, go ahead, Albie. Josh Gordon, this is our, this is his last chance in football. True, and I think probably he's great. true. He reminds me of Randy Moss, and with him under Brady, Gronk, and Elman, it's going to be super. That guy's got a good point. It, under Brady, Belichick, along with Gronk and Edelman, it could in fact be super. Super. This whole thing about he reminds me of Randy Moss. This guy's not the only guy saying that. I said it yesterday. I said it again this morning. I'll make that point one more time. You got to stop with that comparison. He's not like Randy Moss. Randy Moss played the game as well as anybody's ever played the game at that position. He's not like Randy Moss. Josh Gordon had an amazing year in 2013. An amazing year, but really has not done anything since then. So we got to stop with those crazy comparisons. In terms of crazy, look at the expectations. They're through the roof right now. This guy's been a member of the Patriots for literally a matter of hours since he took that physical yesterday, but the buzz is already a joke. Now you hear phrases like game changer, super, and it's going to be these crazy comparisons to Randy Moss. Even the Patriots' official Instagram account is posting a video mashup of Tom Brady throwing to Josh Gordon with the caption, coming soon? Yeah, look, I get it. I get it. This guy's been playing alongside guys like Thaddeus Lewis, Johnny Manziel, neither of whom are in the NFL right now. So the logical thought is, what's going to happen when you put this guy with the best ever do it? Well, ask the man himself. Brady told my guy Jim Gray and Westwood One, quote, I hate to make projections and expectations. That's not fair. I've never met Josh personally. Just like I hadn't met some of the guys that have come in the last couple of weeks. So we'll see how it goes this week. And hopefully he can work hard, put the team first, and end up helping us in any role that he can find for himself on the team. End quote. I see you working, Tom. Very nice, Tom. Very nice of you. He's trying to tamp down expectations for Gordon because the expectations are already stupid and unreal. And crazy, unrealistic expectations, probably, I'm no doctor, but I would imagine that crazy, stupid, unrealistic expectations are not the best thing for Gordon's health and his continued recovery. Again, good looking out by TB12. Good job, good effort, Tommy. Just know this, it's not going to change anything at all. It's not going to change the way 
people are looking to Gordon. The expectations they have from Gordon. The thought that Brady is going to just exercise every last one of the demons that Josh Gordon's got to deal with. That just putting him with Brady is going to turn Gordon into Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, and Larry Fitzgerald all rolled into one. You see, the problem here is Patriots fans, football fans, are looking at Josh Gordon's crazy numbers from 2013. And then they remember that he was catching passes from Jason Campbell, Brandon Whedon, Brian Hoyer, and that they're going to do the math on that. And they're going to ask, well, if the guy did that with those guys, what's it going to mean when Tom Brady is throwing the ball to him? And then their heads are going to explode. Like if this guy was able to make chicken salad out of the Browns quarterbacks, what kind of a feast is this guy going to have with the filet of quarterbacks, Tommy B? This guy was coached by the likes of Pat Shermer, Rob Chadinsky, Mike Pettin, Hugh Jackson. Imagine what's going to happen when Bill Belichick coaches him up. Josh Gordon's talent with a Hall of Fame coach and a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, you've got Pats fans foaming at the mouth. And then they're going to remember that the Patriots offense is not only about Brady and Josh Gordon, that there's Gronk there too. How's that going to look? How is Gordon going to impact the coverage of Gronk? How will Gronk impact the coverage that Gordon sees? And what better time to debut all of this than against former Pats defensive coordinator Matt Patricia on Sunday, if Gordon can in fact play? Then you've got Chowds everywhere getting like Will Hunting on the classroom blackboard, figuring out these complex equations. And you better believe they're showing their work. JG12 plus TB12 equals JGTB24. But then you have to add in Gronk to the 69th power and carry the one. Do some PEMDAs. Multiply by no days off, and you get yourself a Super Bowl trophy and gold jackets for everybody. Write Do you it know down. how easy this is for me? Ah, let's go get their girlfriends. Yeah, let's go punch them in the face and get their girls. Do you have any f***ing idea how easy this is? This is a f***ing joke. You know how easy this is for me? I'm going to cave in your face and take your girl. You like apples? How do you like them apples? Now she's my girl. Ah! Good movie. Matt Damon's the best. I love Damon. Matt Damon's the best. Ben Affleck is not. Hey, Ben, how do you like them apples? Ah! Damon rules. Affleck does not. What I'm saying is, it's the best case scenario, right? This, the way I'm laying it out, and the way people are expecting it, is the best case scenario. And those are the expectations. That is the bar, whether it's fair or it's not. I'm just not sure that's realistic. And believe me, I would love to see it happen for Gordon, for the game of football. But if there's one thing we know about Josh Gordon, it's that he's not exactly plug and play. There's no doubting his upside. There's no doubting his ability. But there is a major doubt about his availability. And that might not be something that Tom Brady and his performance-enhancing pajamas can solve. The Browns did everything they could to provide Gordon with the support he needed, including giving him chance after chance after chance. It still did not work. And if it didn't work there, why would you just assume that it's going to work in New England, where accountability and availability are the biggest things to Belichick? Hell, ask Malcolm Butler about that. 
Furthermore, the Patriots have brought in a number of other troubled receivers, and it didn't work out for them. So just because it worked out great for Randy Moss does not mean it's going to work out great for Josh Gordon. It might, but it might not. And if it doesn't, you shouldn't be surprised. And again, speaking of Moss, stop comparing Gordon to Moss. Gordon was great for one year, five years ago, and he has never come close to reaching those same heights since. And just assuming that he will, because you put him in the same huddle with Tom Brady, and you put him in the same locker room with Bill Belichick, it's pretty naive. Maybe. Maybe, but it's not a lock. Just like it's anything but a lock that he makes it through the season with the Pats. Because he hasn't come close to making it through a season since 2013. Bottom line, Brady is right to try to throw a wet blanket on the proceedings, but a wet blanket is not going to put out a house fire. The expectations, realistic or not, are off the charts. There's nothing Brady can say or do to change that. Again, them bringing Gordon in was a lock. Him sticking and getting back on track to that yellow jacket is anything but. We'll see how it goes. I hope it works out great. But I'm not going to be surprised if it doesn't. This guy's dealing with some demons. Big, big demons. Bigger than him. Hey, listen. It was not long ago that in Cleveland, he missed training camp. He missed a lot of camp. And for reasons that we still don't know. And then he got hurt away from the facility. That just happened. There's a reason why they gave up on this guy. So we'll see. I hope it works out. We are joined by Dino Babers. Dino, it's so good to have you on. Good morning. How are you? Jim, how are you doing? How's the West Coast? Man, it's so good, Coach. So good. How about you? How are you living? East Coast is living large out here, brother. Nice and sunny. Dino, you are too, boy. You are too. You know, it's Wednesday of UConn week. But if you could, Dino, can you take a look back at Saturday's win over Florida State? It was such an enormous moment for the program, not just because it was the first win over the Seminoles since the Beatles were hot and the 66 Mustang was the baddest thing on the road, but you did it in such a dominating, convincing fashion. When you look back on that game right now, what sticks out to you the most, Dino? Well, it was probably the most complete win that we've had since we've been here. The, the, dom- the defense was just dominating. The special teams were stellar. And we did have some mishaps. We left some meat on the bone offensively in the first half, but we just kept banging against the dam, and finally that thing busted open, and uh, we started scoring some touchdowns in the second half. But it was definitely the most complete, satisfying win since I've been here at Syracuse. Dino Babers, my guest. And then on top of that, Dino, from the outside anyway, it didn't feel like an upset. That felt like the best team won. What's that say about where this team is right now? Well, I think we have a lot of faith, belief without evidence, that we're, going to, we're on a mission right now. And, and it doesn't mean that we're going to accomplish our goals, but we have some goals. They're team goals. They're going to stay within the family, the La Familia, the Ohana. But if we keep taking every week, one week at a time, we play the Connecticut Huskies this week and we take care of our business, I think that we may have something to talk about when this thing is over. Dino Babers, my guest. I know you're looking ahead to UConn, which I'm going to get to in a minute, but I'm just looking at this game. There were so many different areas of that game to focus on, but the one thing that jumps out to me is that defense going 13 for 14 on third down stops against Florida State. How much pride then was there for you in how that defense showed up time and time again in the game's biggest moments? You know, this, this game could have been totally different. I mean, it really took the offense a while to get going. We scored three points in the first quarter, and I think three points in the second. And if our defense didn't play the way it played in the first half, we might have lost that momentum. We might have lost that swagger that we had. But they were just playing so well at halftime. And when we came out and got the ball in the second half, 
you just knew we weren't going to be denied, not with our defense playing that way. And then finally we got that thing in the – fourth and fifth gear on offense and got some touchdowns across the end zone. You know, Dino, in defense of the offense and the way it started, I mean, you had your starting quarterback, Eric Dungy, and had to leave the game after getting poked in the eye. Tommy DeVito comes in. It would have been easier for the offense maybe to fold at that point, but it didn't. What did that say about DeVito and the rest of the offense? Well, I think it says, I think it says volumes about DeVito, and I think it speaks volumes about the rest of the offense. You know, Tommy's a redshirt freshman, and we really think he's going to be good. But what the rest of the offense did is the rest of the offense stepped up its game. Dungy is such a dynamic player for us. As he go, we go, we sort of say over here. But with him being out and with Tommy coming in, I'm not, if I'm not sure, I think I am sure, it's the first time that I've, I've ever had a win with the backup quarterback in. And uh, it just goes to show you that you know, we've got bright future over here and we've got a lot more guys like those guys behind those guys and we need a lot more for all those recruits out there that are listening. <laughs> Syracuse 3-0. They're 1-0 in conference play, and they're hosting UConn on Saturday. Listen, you're legendary for your postgame speeches. You delivered another amazing one on Saturday. As a head coach, when you put in the time and you put in the work and your players and staff do as well, what's it like in that locker room after a blowout win of a national power in front of your home crowd? Uh, Jim, it's magical. It really is. And, and, you know, I'm a humble guy, but where I get, what I get excited about is looking in these young people's eyes and knowing that they, they, they started something, they started on a journey, and they finished it. You know how the millennials are. They, like, they, want, they want everything to happen right now, microwave. And I'm like, you've got to put in your time, you've got to plant your seed, you've got to fertilize it, you've got to water it, and you've got to let the sun do its work. And these guys, to see that come to, a, to, come to maturity and for those guys to see that and to know that they've got something that's going to stick with them for the rest of their lives, that they'll be able to share with their kids, their grandkids. Their grandkids will be sitting in there, no, Grandpa, don't tell us a story again about how you beat Florida State. I mean, those are the things that get me going and be able to share something like that with them that they can carry on long after I'm gone. Dion, that's so great. You and I know that because we've been around a little while. You're right. They will have this for the rest of their lives. They can always look back and talk about that amazing day where they blew out Florida State. But in the meantime, you still have business ahead of you, and you're still in this thing right now. So when you've got the millennials and you've got these kids and they're experiencing this success and there's this tremendous level of buzz right now that, by the way, started at the end of last season and it's been building, how do you make sure that they handle and respond to the success in the best way possible and keep an even keel well i know this is a family show so i'm gonna keep it clean we have to toilet flush that stuff okay we have to (laughs) let that stuff go that was great we had we had our moment we we had our weekend and now we have to get back to business and it all starts with the mental aspect of it i didn't think we handled it very well last year we're going to see how we handle it this year we've got to be mentally tough and go about our work like we're hungry like we're zero and zero and we have everything to work for and nothing nothing in our possession to show that we've done a good job before this. Dino Babers joining us, Syracuse head coach. Listen, I hear coaches all the time. We all hear this. Talk about the culture, the culture. You have to instill culture. I know for a fact, though, every single day, every single practice, really almost every single moment you're looking to install and develop the culture that you want in your program. You're in your third season. Are you seeing that culture really take root with the players? And how long generally does it take? You know, it, it normally takes about this time. And I... People talk about the culture and they talk about the players. The first thing I think about is the people surrounding the players, the trainers, the administrators, the food service people, uh, the way they're interacted on campus with professors, with other students, 
uh, even with the community. And you know, if you want to be a winner, you got People have to people want people have to treat you like you are a winner. And if they treat you like you're not, and you believe that, then you're going to have a whole bunch to overcome. So the first thing is to attack that mental the mental part of it, not with your football team, but the people that touch your football team so much, and then get your football team to believe. So you're looking at your next challenge right now because it's always about the next thing. When you're looking at UConn, what concerns you the most about the Huskies? The thing that concerns me the most about them is they've got a quarterback that looks like ours. They've got a young Eric Dungy that can run around. He runs past secondary people. He can extend plays with his legs. He has a fantastic arm, and he's young. And he's surrounded by a young defense and a young offense. And the thing about young people is sometimes they don't know, and they come out and do some amazing things. So we've got to come out, cross our T's, dot our I's, and play our type of game to make sure we get out of this thing unscathed so we can continue on our journey. Part of that journey right now, 3-0, 1-0 in conference play. Next challenge is UConn. Dino Babers, the head coach at Syracuse, coming off a huge win. Dino, it's great to have you on. I know you've got another big week ahead of you, but really nice to talk to you about that win. And a look ahead at UConn, too. Nice to have you back, Dino. Hey, Rome, don't forget about me, man. I remember, I was listening to you in high school when I was driving a baby blue hatchback Pinto, brother. Stay with me. Dino, you know it. The NBA is going to be a league without my dude, Matt Barnes. Matty Barnes had a hell of a career, 14 seasons, eight points a game, and he got himself a ring back in 2017. But no one's going to remember him for that, not necessarily. I remember Matt Barnes for the way he played the game. I remember Matt Barnes for how he came off the bench and changed games. I remember Matt Barnes as a guy who never, ever backed down from anyone or anything ever on or off the floor. Now, on the floor, he imposed his will and did so all over the floor. He annoyed the hell out of the other team. He intimidated the other team. He would step to anybody who as much as looked at his guys the wrong way. Believe me, those guys know who will go and they know who will not go. They know who you can punk and they know who you can't punk. They know Matt Barnes will go. They know Matt Barnes is a dude that you do not want to jack with. A dude that you loved having on your squad but hated playing against. The best teammate and the worst opponent. An enforcer. Somebody who Doc Rivers once said, quote, someone you can never have enough of. High praise from Doc. So when I think of Matt Barnes, I'll think about that. I'll remember that. And the fact that he played for... 10 teams, 10 teams in 14 years, 10 teams. Look that up. Every website and media guide that says he only played for nine, he's got bad info, bad intel. I know, 10, count them, count with me. It says it right here. Clippers, Kings, Knicks, Sixers, Warriors, Suns, Magic, Lakers, Grizz, and... Team Bake. Matty Burns. Matty Blunts. Matty Buds. Turns out my dude was baking before every game. Every game. A ritual that we all found out about yesterday when he was on the Red Pill podcast 
with Van Lathan. Check you this. You would smoke and then play an NBA game? So I would, you know, so we, you know, we'd have shoot around like at 11. We'd be done by 12. I'd be back to the house by 1230. Uh, you know, roll a joint, smoke it, take a nap, wake up, eat, shower, and go to the game. How prevalent is that? Uh, it's out there. Yeah. I mean, I can only tell you what I was doing, but it's out there. Since high school, you were playing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You catch that timeline. Morning shoot around. Get home at 1230. Twist up a cone. Blow trees. Nap it out. Crush grub. Hit the shower. Go to the game. And that was his work life. Your dream life was his work life. And he was killing it at work. There's a term for those special kind of heads. High-functioning stoners. What else would you call a dude who showed up for 14 years straight on time to bust ass up and down a court with the world's best athletes? Maybe Greg Oden should have been on the draw. Matty Blunts got 14 years on that regimen. And obviously, my man is big-time Nap Nation. Do not overlook that. He wasn't smoking before games. He was smoking before naps before games. I'm no Paul Escobar, but safe to say dude was hitting the indica and not the sativa. No wonder Matty Barnes played so much of his career here in California and kept coming back. Best trees in the world, or so I'm told. Not about that life. I'm not judging that life. I'm just not about that life. Not my deal. And you've got to have your routine pretty damn dialed in to hit the lettuce, hit a nap, and still hit the alarm. How many of you heads could trust yourself to blaze out, knock out, and then get out? No chance. All you low-functioning stoners aren't coming back to society as contributors after a snap-in nap. No chance. So nothing but love and respect for Matty B. And that was before hearing him on the Red Pill podcast. The only thing that's changed now is how much more love and respect I have for Matt Barnes. Because Matt Barnes had a process, and it worked. Respect the process. Trust the process. And notice, he did not dime on anybody else when the host asked him how rampant weed is in the NBA. I got a feeling that Matty B would dig the big league or the big three league. And their pain treatment allowances. In the meantime, go ahead and hang this dude's gamer in the Team Bake Rafters. Number 420 in your program. Number one in your heart. We are joined by Lee Jenkins. Lee, it's so good to have you back. How are you, Lee? I'm good, Jim. How are you doing? Lee, I'm great. It is so good to talk to you, but I've got to first ask right off the top, what's it feel like, Lee, when you hear yourself as introduced as the former Sports Illustrated senior writer and new executive director of research and identity for the Los Angeles Clippers? What's that feel like, and does it actually feel real? I think it should be Mark in Hollywood. That's what I think it sounds like. <laughs> right. It doesn't. Uh, yeah, it definitely takes a minute to get used to that. It's not something that I ever kind of went looking for I never went to the NBA job fair you know looking for a position or anything like that it just you know it was just something that sort of that sort of came out of the sky and you know they just had some you know they got some people in that front office Lawrence Frank Michael Winger Steve Ballmer who really you know they think outside the box they think creatively and they I guess they thought that 
you know, some of the skills you have in putting these stories together as far as just asking questions, connecting dots, looking at things differently, you know, would somehow be able to, to help the team. So, you know, that's what I'll try to do, Jim. I have no, you know, I have no idea exactly how this, how this looks long-term, how long it lasts, any of that, but I'm excited for the adventure. Lee Jenkins joining us. What an amazing adventure that must be. I mean, it's an awesome job title, and I know that you've said <laughs> that what it really means is you're a valet for Jerry West or a coffee boy for exactly. Lawrence Frank and Michael Winger, but unpack that a little bit, Lee. What is the job description that goes along with the title of Executive Director of Research and Identity for the L.A. Clippers? Break that down. So I I think that these organizations, unlike journalistic enterprises, it's like I'm learning a little bit more about the corporate environment and sort of this collaborative effect that goes into it, where you have kind of all these people in these rooms helping present sort of their point of view, the way they look at situations with players or situations facing the organization. And they're kind of presenting their point of view to the people in charge, the people who really make the decisions like, you know, like Lawrence Frank, Michael Winger, Steve Ballmer. So I feel like a lot of it is kind of just be, is being there to, to think in a little bit of a different way, to look at it differently. And then part of it, I think, is to assist in terms of player evaluation, looking at things, you know, maybe in a different way and complementing the people they have. So, you know, you have the analytical side, which I absolutely know absolutely nothing about. You know, there's the collective bargaining agreement, which I know nothing mm-hmm. about as far as evaluating players and their talent level. I know nothing about that either. Okay. If I went into a gym, I couldn't tell you who's good, who's bad, anything. What I try to do is explain a little bit about who people are. That's what I do with, with my work, with my stories. And that's what I'm going to try to do for them. They're interested in that is give them a little bit of a sense um, with potential players, with players they have even a little bit more of who they are, how the team can help them, the organization can help them be better, um, and also how they might fit into you know, what the organization's building. So the way I see it is like almost like a complement to all these great scouts and analysts that they already have, you know, maybe helping ask a few different questions and looking at things a, a bit differently. So interesting. Lee Jenkins joining us. So you've got the job of working on and identifying to a certain extent, Lee, the identity of the players. What about the identity of the Clippers? How would you describe that right now? And is that part of what you're working on as well? Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, I'm going to try. That's something that they are, I mean, listen, the Lob City era, they had an identity and, and that's, that's over and they're trying to build something new. They're trying to build an identity for the team and, you know, clearly it's, it's kind of in the infancy. And I think there's a great opportunity because you are building now. I mean, they're in an era now where they're, they have to build anew. They want to stay competitive, but they're also trying to build an identity to something, for something to kind of hang their hat on besides they play in Los Angeles and they're owned by Steve Ballmer. And I think you saw it a little bit last season. They played, they played with a real toughness and an edge to them. I have a feeling you'll see that again this season. And, you know, it's probably the way I feel like they're going to go is, is they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a very workmanlike team in Los Angeles. And I think there will be you know, people who are really drawn to that moving forward. Lee Jenkins joining us. All right, Lee, people are familiar with Ballmer and Jerry West, Lawrence Frank, Doc Rivers, but the team's general manager, Michael Winger, is not as familiar to some people, some fans. I know you have a ton of respect for Winger, who had previously been with the Thunder. Who is Michael Winger, and what makes him stand out? Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's an incredible leader, too. I mean, you have some big 
you have some big personalities, some big resumes in that organization. And, you know, he's someone who, you know, I feel like is the, is really the glue. Um, I mean, he's, he's the guy who, the, as far as strategy, as far as, uh, you know, kind of looking ahead and looking at what this team needs. Um, he's the person who kind of knows, I mean, I don't think anybody knows the CBA probably better than Michael Winger and, you know, understands just all the minutiae that goes into putting a team together, putting a team on the floor, um, making moves. I mean, there's a discipline that the Clippers have had that you can see really kind of going back to the Blake Griffin trade, a discipline they approach. Every, that, that's really set them in a great spot. I mean, they have they have really incredible flexibility, um, you know, next summer moving forward. And I think in a lot of ways, Jim, his presence kind of made this a really great bet for me because I just I, I just feel like they're really well positioned. Um, they're well positioned between their market, their owner, and their front office to make a dent. We're talking to Lee Jenkins. Now, Lee, when you and I started, you you touched on this momentarily, but you're not the first person in the media to move to the team side of things, but this is a little bit different in the sense that while you won't acknowledge it, everybody in the industry will say that you're the absolute best at what you do. So knowing that, exactly how did this opportunity first come about? You know, it's just like for you, when you interview people, like sometimes you – have a connection with some people and, and sometimes you don't. And, you know, I've been interviewing Lawrence Frank for a long time and, you know, you never think, oh, well, this person might hire me. And that's not, that never kind of comes into play. That's never in the, even in the back of your mind. Um, but, you know, I had a lunch uh, late last end of the regular season with Michael Winger. Um, and during that time, we didn't even really talk a lot about basketball. And this was not about a job or anything. This was just a getting to know you. And, and out of that, they kind of asked me to come in and, uh, and see them again and, and talk a little bit about, you know, about basketball and about how kind of a reporter's role may be able to, to help a front office, to help a team. And so as the months went by, you know, I think part of the motivation, Jim, for me, and I don't know if you ever feel like this, but it's like you never, we never really know what it's like. You know, we can ask people a million questions we can get pretty close, you know, what's it like on draft night, what's the deadline, like all of that. I think that we can, I think people can tell us in, in pretty vivid term, pretty detailed terms, but, you know, the opportunity to really get to know what it was and what it was like was extremely appealing to me and something that, you know, if and when I do go back to the media, which I, I assume I will, that I will know, I'll just know so much more than I know now. And I, I feel like that, It'll only kind of help moving forward. Lee, why do you assume that? How do you know that you'll go back to the media? How do you know that you won't just dominate this the way you did the other and that you won't have a passion and you won't love this and you might not climb the ladder here too? How do you know you'll be back? You know, being around those guys, they just they see it. They just see it so much differently than I see it. Like, I, I, I'm never going to be able to evaluate players like that. I, you know, I'm not smart enough to understand the collective bargaining agreement, the way Michael Winger does. I'm not, I'll never be a good enough negotiator. I don't, I don't, my analytics, like they're just so, I have so many deficiencies as far as you see all the aspects of this. And once you're in it, you just realize how much you know. And so I just, it's, it's what I expect. It's what I see. Look, I hope this lasts a long, long time. You know, I hope, I hope it's an incredible success for everybody involved um, but it's also pro sports, and I realize that there's probably a you know a bit of a ceiling on what, what I'm trying to do is, is something you know really specific, and 
I don't know that it will that I'll necessarily be able to. Uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be naive enough to think that I could grow much farther out of that. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Lee Jenkins joining us. You know, Lee, I think that you. I can't speak for you, but a lot of us that are in this business the way we are. Obviously, we figured out that we were not going to be professional athletes, but we love the games, we love the sports, we love the dynamics. Yeah. So we get into this side of the business. And then you're on the other side of the business. As an example, you told Woj that you were mindful of something that David Griffin always said about LeBron, that he'll often make decisions with the younger version of himself in mind. In other words, what would 12-year-old LeBron dream about doing? So let me turn that on its head. What would 12-year-old Lee Jenkins think about Lee Jenkins being in the front office of an NBA team? Yeah, that that was cool. That that was pretty cool. I mean, first would probably have been, honestly, to write for Sports Illustrated. But, you know, I've been able to do that for 11 years, and this was just, this just sounded like a really enticing adventure. And the people seemed like the kind of people you'd really want to work with. And, you know, I'm from San Diego, so to me, and the Clippers were gone by the time I was really a Cognizant sports fan. But I, I grew up watching the Clippers and liking the Clippers and going up to, you know, L.A. Sports Arena for games and stuff. So it's, to me, all of it. You know, there is an appeal. What you're talking about with LeBron and sort of making those decisions with the younger you in mind, yeah, that I did think about that because how many times do you get an opportunity like that? It, you know, that's one thing that kind of kept coming up with me is I'm like, this has never happened before. No one in all the interviews I've done, no one's ever said, hey, do you come work for us? Like, no one's ever that. And I know that no one will. So it was just, it just felt like one of those those once-in-a-lifetime moments that I didn't, I didn't really want to let slide. All right, so before you go and before you leave your previous life, I mean, you always want to be in journalism, and you've done it as well as anybody's ever done it, and you've done it at the highest level for SI. Is there any part of you, and of course I would imagine there would be, a part of you that's going to miss writing profiles and seeing those pieces in Sports Illustrated? Yeah, yeah, there's a big part. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough leaving that place. It's you know, I know things have changed. I know... You know, print isn't what it was, and magazines aren't what they were. But you know, working there was just—it was just such an honor, and I—I I, I loved every minute of it. So, no, I'll for sure miss it. I mean, I, weirdly, I do think what I'm going to be doing here, there will be similarities as far as finding out, you know, putting puzzles together about players. Um, but I can't—it it won't be actually writing. I won't be sitting down at a computer and you know, writing a profile of someone. I, I think I probably will again at some point, but. No, for right now, I, I'll i definitely miss it. You know, Lee, finally... You're and not, I'll miss being on the show with you, too. No, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not doing that anymore. Can you not appear on this show anymore, Lee? I know. I, I'll, I'll, I write that into the contract. Uh, the Jim Rome appearances are permitted. Please do, Lee. Put that in the contract. And a last thought. I mean, you're not, you're not dead, but how gratifying was it to see the response of your peers on social and otherwise after the announcement was made? Well, no, it, uh, it feels like it feels like you're at your own funeral. I mean, I'm I'm completely sick of myself. So, but it was in, so generous of every of, you know people who've taken the time to read and to write, and especially now, all you hear is well, people don't they don't read more than 280 characters. They won't read these 4,000 word stories. So, you know, to know that at least some people did is. Uh, no, it's incredibly flattering. I appreciate it. He is the new executive director of research and identity for the L.A. Clippers. Very good friend of the program. Lee, you see what you can do to at least write in a couple of appearances a year for the show <laughs> because we'd love to have you here. You're always welcome here. You know that. But, Lee, congratulations. It's an amazing story. It is so well-deserved, and I'm really anxious to see how that next thing plays out for you. Thanks, Romy. Appreciate it. we got to get Mark next. We go to Maine. Jim in Maine. 
Good to have you on, Jim. How are you? What's going on, buddy? What's up, Jim? How are you? What's going on with you? I'm thinking first and foremost, there is no other Randy Moss and probably never will be. But if this guy works out, win a win a chicken dinner. I'm happy for it. <laughs> it's worth the risk, right? It's worth, yeah. What, what are we losing? Eric in Orlando, my man. Eric, what's going on? How are you? Roll me, buddy. How you doing? Thanks for coming on my call. You got it. How you doing, Eric? What's up? Doing great. Hey, great interview with Lee Jenkins. I've always liked him. Lee's now, good, Now, in dude. reference to that clown that came in, I'm calling to defend um, my accent and my city, okay? At least we don't burn down our cash on Botox and face carvings, and we don't eat those weak-ass spiny lobsters, okay? Now, Jim, have you ever had a New England lobster? Yes, sir, I have. You know I have. How about it? Is it like candy or what? It's incredible. The best you can get. That's all I got for you, buddy. It's like candy. You're exactly right, Eric. All right. Run that back. Good to rack him. It's my man, Eric. In Huntington Beach. Silk bra. What's going on, Silk? Hey, Jimmy. How you doing, buddy? What's up with you, Silk? Hey, you don't sound too good today. Can you hear me? I know it's a bad connection. I apologize. <laughs> Listen, I'm out on the East Coast. I'm enjoying some of these huge swells I got coming up from the hurricane. And this Gordon signing is going to be phenomenal. Come on. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Fake silk. Not a very good call. Lazy silk. Come on. Let's go to the bra. Silk bra. Silk, it better be you. These aren't the droids you're looking for. That's yeah. Good, good. What's up, man? What's up? Well, I can do the security questions if you want. Uh, the, city, the street I grew up on was Roderick Lane. My wife's maiden name is Smith, and my cat's names are Kareem and Magic. Now, brah, I agree with you. Eric in Orlando, great email. That harkens back to the old, like, great faxes, like beaver-like chompers and soup plate-sized belt buckles. And I'm glad Polly T. Wall is thinking about me, because I'm not thinking about him. Um, I usually will go to a Charger game, of course, especially when it's local. But I'm sorry, Brad. I'd love to go down there and say hi to you. But the Coliseum's a dump. It's been a dump forever. They should have kept the Paris style and nuked that place and built a state-of-the-art stadium. So I can't go down there, Brad. Now, I'm going to call my shot because I'm going to be busy in the classroom for the next couple of days, and I can't get in on Friday. So the Chargers will not win on Sunday. I'm hoping for if they play a perfect game, they have a chance. But until they get Bosa back from the foot injury, and, you know, he's a – potential defensive player of the year candidate and until they get legit back from the suspension they can't pressure the quarterback uh, well enough and uh goff gets the ball out too quickly they got too many weapons they're going to be too much pressure on the secondary i don't see the chargers winning on sunday although i'll be hoping for it bro. so i hope you have a good hit out there i will in fact though be in downtown hb killing it with the crew it's going to be awesome bro. And I do want to give a shout-out to all my bros on the East Coast, everyone in Woonsocket and uh, Arlington. That Josh uh, Gordon trade has the potential to be a wicked pisser. And in Maine, shout-out to my brother in smack at Fake Silk. Come on, uh, Albie. Have a good weekend. Later, brah. 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 Good night now! From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Learn more about gig-speed internet or other popular plans. With Xfinity, you'll enjoy faster downloads and a better streaming experience. 
Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed.